What's up out there, everybody? Welcome to Ask Legal Ease. I'm your host, Mark Houston II Esquire, and you're tuned in to season two of Ask Legal Ease. As a gentle reminder, nah, this ain't your favorite argumentative sportscast or gossip site, and it definitely ain't your professor's podcast. This is a legal business perspective, coupled with a true love of sport, dictated to the culture, for the culture, by a sports attorney. And as a disclaimer, the information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Now that we got the formalities out of the way, out of the way, let's start with another heat check. Heat check one, two. For tonight's episode, I'm wearing the Adidas Yeezy 350 V2 Boost Your Heel. Check those out, they're fire. Since we're starting a new season, season two, episode one, we're gonna start with not one, but two shout outs this week. So the first shout out goes to Megan Rapinio and Margaret Purse of the US Women's National Soccer Team. Each of those individuals, each individual testified before the Biden administration uh, this past Wednesday um, on the issue of equal payment between the men's national team and the women's national team. Now, of course, to give a bit of context here, the women's national team, uh, they've won a couple World Cups, I believe. They always qualify for the Olympics, um, the Concave Cup, uh, all of the above. However, they're paid at, they're paid a fraction of what the men are paid uh, for the their same efforts and, you know, the men and they never qualify. They never qualify for the Olympics. They never barely, rarely qualify for the World Cup. However, what we see is the women's team, which have been wildly successful, um, you know, at the apex, you know, of women's soccer, aren't paid as much as the men who don't win a damn thing. So Rapinio, Rapinio, in her, in her testimony before the Biden administration. She made a made some huge statements uh, that you know blew some people out of the water and you know really put the spotlight on a lot of people. Now I could sit here and regurgitate you know exactly what she said, but I think it does a bit more justice if you hear it from the horse's mouth. So here's the clip. Four World Cup championships and four Olympic gold medals for the United States, and despite those wins. I've been devalued, I've been disrespected, and dismissed because I am a woman. And I've been told that I don't deserve any more than less because I am a woman. Now, as far as we're concerned here at Athlegalese, that's BS. I mean, she stated it, you heard it from the horse's mouth, four World Cups, four Olympic golds, and you can't get paid as much as a guy who can barely win a semifinal against Honduras, as we saw last night. Um, but I digress. In addition to Megan Rapinoe's heroics, she was also joined by a teammate of her, Margaret Midge Purse, um, who's a 25-year-old native of the Washington, D.C. area, um, who also serves as the executive director of Black Women's Player Collective, an organization founded just last year with a goal of providing a collective voice to the black perspective and experience 
of a professional female athlete amidst the incessant and pervasive racial inequality and social injustice plaguing our country, end quote. So shout out to those two. In addition, our second shout out goes to Francis Ngannou, uh, the UFC, the now and new UFC champion uh, hailing from Cameroon, Africa, uh, who became the very first African UFC heavyweight champion uh, just this weekend uh, with a stunning performance against the reigning uh, champion. Um, he also got a bit of revenge for a split decision, perhaps a unanimous decision loss uh, just a few years ago to the same individual. So shout out goes to him too. Now since today is Sunday, the beginning of the week, we're doing a little recap. We gotta give the history of sports on this day. Today is March 28th, 2021. Now on this day in 1891, the first weightlifting championship was won by Edward Lawrence in London, England. In 1945, Maurice Rocket Richard of the Montreal Canadiens became the first NHL player to score 50 goals in a season. Richard scored 50 goals in 50 games. In 1957, the first national curling championship was held. In 1990, Jesse Owens received the Congressional Gold Medal from the U- from U.S. President George Bush. And, and also in 1990, Michael Jordan drops a career-high 69 points in OT against the Cavs. The same day, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar became the 15th man in NBA history to play 1,000 regular season games as the Los Angeles Lakers defeated the host Kansas City Kings. And LeBron James scores in double figures for the 866th straight game, tying Michael Jordan for the longest such streak in NBA history. Now, lastly, in 2002, former NFL player Dexter Manley was sentenced to two years in jail for evidence tampering. He had been convicted for attempting to swallow cocaine he was carrying and then failed to meet with his probation officer. All right, everybody, let's bring it in for a huddle and let's discuss today's game plan. Now, today's game plan, we have quite a treat for you. We'll be discussing a huge a huge case involving the NCAA that the Supreme Court of the United States has taken up to decide. Uh, the case is Austin v. NCAA. After that, we'll hop into our hot story involving a NF- an NHL referee called on, hot, on a hot mic. And we'll jump right into our case law section involving more developments with Vanessa Bryant and the tragic Kobe Bryant helicopter crash lawsuit. Let's get right into it. Now, recently, the Supreme Court of the United States took up a case involving the NCAA uh, that involves what the NCAA is prohibited from providing and also permitted to provide for student athletes. Now this case was bought, brought by a former West Virginia football player, Sean Alston, um, and a few others in May of last year, uh, was filed in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, and the allegations here is that the NCAA violated Section 1 of the Sherman Antitrust Act 
when it limited schools from offering certain education-related benefits to student-athletes in Division I basketball and football bowl subdivision football programs. Um, and moreover, I'm citing a J.D. Supra article uh, that discusses this. The opinion by the Ninth Circuit affirmed an injunction issued by a district court judge that would prevent the NCAA from adopting rules that prohibit member schools from limit- limiting the non-cash educational, education-related benefits that can be provided to student-athletes. Now, it doesn't focus on, this case doesn't focus on the issue of pay, but rather the non-cash benefits related to an education that is essentially the bargain for exchange for the student-athletes to perform as apex athletes, top athletes, equal labor, honestly, Um, and what they're essentially compensated with. Now these benefits include, but are not limited to, computers, science equipment, musical instruments, study abroad and postgraduate scholarships. Oh, and very importantly, paid internships. Now the schools would not be necessarily required to provide these benefits, but the issue here is that many of these conferences already restrict these benefits. Now, as we know, there's always two sides to a story. So in this case, the NCAA argued that the Board of Regents required plaintiffs attacking an NCAA rule promoting amateurism to meet a heavier burden in the rule of reason analysis. Rule of reason obviously is part and parcel of the Sherman Antitrust Act. Now, the Ninth Circuit has already rejected those arguments, noting that it previously found Board of Regents language relied upon the NCAA to be dicta in its O'Bannon decision, another case involving the payment of student-athletes, which is a little different here. So now that the Supreme Court has picked it up, uh, they've already denied a request from the NCAA to essentially invalidate the lower court's ruling. Um, There's been several amicus briefs filed here and there. Um, And ultimately what the NCAA uh, is stating that this, you know, from this article and, you know, from from quotes is uh, the NCAA is arguing that the Ninth Circuit's ruling will quote, will the ruling quote, will fundamentally transform the century-old institution of NCAA sports blurring the traditional line between college and professional athletes. Now, of course, there's another side to this. On the other hand, the players argue that the top athletic teams are operating a system that acts as a class restraint of trade in violation of Section 1 of the Sherman Act. And without those restraints, the plaintiffs argue, the student-athletes will be compensated at a level more commiserate with their value to their universities conferences and the NCAA. Now, obviously this is a huge, huge case, you know, for both sides, given that this decision is really going to change the economic structure of college sports. It would perhaps overturn the NCAA's hold on the amateurism rule. Uh, if the court finds that it is a violation of the Sherman Act, 
And this honestly would open the floodgates and almost be a supplement almost or a coupling partnership between what we see with the changes with name, image, and likeness, which is also on the horizon. So be sure to keep an eye out for this case and a ruling that perhaps we'll have sometime later this year. Moving right along, that takes us to our case law section. Now for our case law section, we'll be discussing more developments involving the tragic Kobe Bryant helicopter accident. Now, as I've stated in season one on a few episodes, we've covered, you know, the overall uh, wrongful death lawsuit uh, that Vanessa Bryant and Kobe Bryant's estate has filed against not only the helicopter company, uh, but the pilot's estate also as well as the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Now, as I sort of elucidated to just now, the plaintiff here is Vanessa Bryant. Vanessa Bryant is suing LA County deputies in efforts to obtain and release the names of the individuals who were involved in taking unauthorized photos of the crash site depicting the crash site the victims and then taking those photos and disseminating them uh, to not only their friends um, but whoever was involved perhaps TMZ and others um, it was reported uh, last year uh, that there were some individuals uh, sheriff's deputies who were sharing these photos um, in a bar setting now to get a bit further into this and explain a bit more, Vanessa Bryant, according to her, her attorneys, alleged that these unauthorized photos, you know, were shared widely and that the names of the individuals should be known and also added to the overarching lawsuit um, that I discussed a few seconds ago. Now, just recently, a U.S. District Court judge in Los Angeles, in California, dismissed L.A. County lawyers' attempts to keep the name sealed in order to protect these deputies from online, quote, vitriol and hackers who might want to obtain the photos. Now, that was their argument. Obviously, it fell short uh, of the legal standard. And, of course, now given the fact that she's won in that ruling, the deputies' names can now be added to Vanessa Bryant's amended filing in the lawsuit against the Sheriff's Department and the county. Now, the judge went on to state in his ruling that claims of officer, police officer misconduct should not be concealed from the public and stated, quote, Indeed, where the case involves allegations of police misconduct, the public has a vested interest in assessing the truthfulness of the allegations of official misconduct and whether agencies that are, that are responsible for investigating and adjudicating complaints of misconduct have acted properly and wisely. He went on to say that it's not enough for 
the individuals to attempt to conceal their identities and stated, quote, although the court recognizes that this case has been the subject of public scrutiny and media attention and that the deputy defendants are legitimately concerned that they will encounter vitriol and social media attacks, such concerns by themselves are not sufficient to outweigh the public's strong interest in access. Thus, it seems Vanessa has gotten exactly what she wanted in terms of legal remedy to add responsible parties to the lawsuit, which I'm sure all the attorneys out there know is key to an actual recovery. Now, guys, be sure to keep your eye on that and we'll be sure to provide you with more updates as they develop. Now that leads us to our last segment, Hot Stories. Now this hot story is going to be a little interesting uh, to those who are interested in perhaps referees and their effect on the game. Because, you know, there's not only just the players involved, there's also officials involved. And how they affect the game obviously has a huge effect on the business of sports. And as we've talked about in a past episode, episode, or excuse me, uh, in season one, we spoke about some of the betting issues and improprieties involving an NBA referee betting on games that he was officiating. Now that led to a, a huge fallout and a huge scandal. But just recently it was announced that the NFL, excuse me, the NHL bans a senior referee after a hot mic catches him making a statement. Now, this NHL ref by the name of Tim Peel was caught on a hot mic saying he was seeking to call a penalty on the Nashville Predators. Now, I believe the call was a tripping call that, that he gave or that he assessed against the Predators. And on a hot mic, or let me take a step back. The call essentially wasn't much of a call much more rather a flop on the player. However, the penalty was called and assessed by Tim Peel. He was calling the mic saying, it wasn't much, but I really wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early. Excuse my French. Now, this is interesting because I myself am a USSF certified soccer referee. And I understand needing to control the pace of the game need to control the players, the coaches, etc. so that the game can be played fairly. Now here, the NHL stepped in immediately. They stepped in immediately and they stated that he is no longer working games now or in the future. This referee, as I stated, was a senior referee um, and he was set to retire within the next month. So it remains to be seen if he's going to be fired, terminated for cause, I guess, or if they're just going to put him on ice, no pun intended, until his term, his employment term ends when he retires. Now, in my opinion, obviously this is just, you know, thoughts and opinion section here is that I think the NHL might be overreacting. As I stated, as a soccer referee, there's been multiple times where I've dealt with a team that perhaps had a grudge against another team, perhaps a team that came out of town you know, that had a chip on their shoulder, that wanted to perhaps 
impose some will or dominant dominance over the other team. However, if multiple fouls are being called, if there is, you know, a technical violation of the rules that warrant a penalty, of course you call that. Now you do have leeway as a referee as to whether or not you want to make that call. Is it a is it a definite foul or is it something as Tim Peel said here, not that much, but I wanted to get a call out on Nashville, essentially to set the tone of the game. Now, personally, I don't see anything wrong with that. And that's notwithstanding any investigation that perhaps, you know, could show that he had a bias against uh, the Nashville Predators. However, that's not really up to me to decide. Looking at the facts as I see it now, it seems as if he was well within his rights to make that call. So upon further review, we say overreaction, but it's up for you guys to decide. Let us know in the comments section, send us an email at us. Let us know what you think about this. And that's all the time we have guys. Again, this is Athlegalese season two, episode one. We're back at it. Thanks for your patience, but now we're back on it. Be sure to check with us every week. We'll be providing new episodes with updates, new content, and we're looking to engage a bit more. So feel free to reach out to us on social media, ask a question. We're even open to collabs. So like I said, DM us, follow us, add us on Twitter at Athlegalese, Instagram at Athlegalese, and feel free to shoot us an email at any time at athlegalese at gmail.com. Thanks for your time, and we'll catch you again next time.